And I hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your goodness. Help us to receive your word, to believe the things you have spoken, so that by your spirit we may be conformed to the image of our Savior, even Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to again express my gratitude to the elders and to Pastor Garner for inviting me this weekend. It's been great, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Friday night to see so many of you again and uh, renew some acquaintances and see how things are going. It's good to to see uh, with your own eyes what's happening. We pray for you regularly and uh, trust the Lord will continue His mercies to you. Well, we've been thinking about the church um, and the church being the, the manifestation of God's salvation in the earth. And remember that salvation really means ultimately being conformed to Jesus, not going to heaven when you die, though that's true and we're thankful for that. But it really means much more than that. It means being conformed to the true man the man who was, who, who was faithful, the second Adam, who did what the first Adam failed to do, the one who honored the Lord, who loved him and feared him and walked in his commandments. So salvation really is the reconstruction of us after sin has destroyed us. Sin broke us apart. Sin dehumanized us. It, it made us beastly. And the salvation, and salvation is really being made human again. It's rehumanization, the rehumanization by man, of man by the Father through the redemptive work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of salvation, and it is a glorious work. And the Spirit works salvation in us through the communion and fellowship we have with one another. And that's the thing that I, really, I, want, us, I want us to see because it's the emphasis of all the epistles, and it's amazing how in some ways uh, so many in the church have lost sight of this, that we actually, God, God is the one who saves, of course, but he saves us by working in and through 
the other members of the body of Christ. Is salvation is not something that happens in isolation, in other words. It is something that we are, we are saved not apart from the body of Christ, but in union with that body. To be cut off from the body of Christ is to be lost. It's to lose life altogether. So the Spirit applies the work of Jesus by working in and through each of the members of the body so that the whole body, all the members of the body, grow up in maturity, in conformity to Jesus the Savior. And this means that my salvation is dependent under God upon your faithfulness and faithful perseverance. And you see what I'm saying. God is the one who saves, of course, so God's going to work, but He works through you to enable me to grow in Christ Jesus. And He works through me to enable you to grow through Christ Jesus. This is over and over emphasized in the scriptures, this reality is to be the dominant truth that governs our relationships together. You have to realize this reality, and Paul points to it over and over. Uh, for example, in Romans 12, he mentions the fact that we are joined to one another, and we have been given gifts for ministry. Why, did, why do you have particular abilities and strengths that other people don't have, or they don't have it to the same degree? We've all been given differing gifts, but why? To minister to the body, and of course, through the body to the world, so that the whole body might be conformed to Jesus. And he goes on after he says that you're members of one another, you've all been gifts, gifts that you've been given gifts, gifts that differ, and then he draws this conclusion. Therefore, let love be without hypocrisy. Your gift is not for you. It is for the rest of the body. And you have to show your love for one another by exercising that ministry, the, the, the encouragement and the ministry you are to give to the rest of the body. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. And then again in 1 Corinthians 12, I think I referred to this yesterday, Paul, Paul points to the fact that we're joined together in one body. He says, by baptism, we've all been joined to the body of Christ by, by the Spirit. And so we are now members of this body. And you have been given gifts, he says, each member for the whole body, for the, for the profit of the whole. And he reminds us that each member is necessary if the whole body is to grow into full maturity and conformity to Jesus. So he says, you, you, don't, you cannot, don't allow yourself to despise any of the members of the body. Just like you don't despise, I hope, any of the members of your body. We kind of cherish those things. You know, the doctor tells me I need to get my gallbladder out. I'm going, I think I'll hang on to it. I mean, just, it's all the same to you. It's my body after all. I, I feel better with all the parts. I don't know. You feel like, and, and you know how even the least little thing in your body can mess up the whole business, and you're sensitive to it. Paul says there's a reason why God gave you a body, and you have to walk around in it. The reason why you live out your life with a body is important. It teaches you about the body of Christ. Therefore, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, 
and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor. We have a lot of members in the body that I don't understand, I can't comprehend, but they sure can make things bad for me if they don't go well. And so I have to learn from that. There are people in our church I don't understand. And we don't seem to click in every way like I wish we should, could, but I know that they are being, they're very important to my well-being. And that's what you've got to remember. We esteem one another highly because our lives are tied together. Our lives are dependent upon another, one another. Therefore, we have to avoid ungodly divisions. We have to avoid bitterness and refusing to be reconciled to one another. We have to care for one another. We have to sympathize with one another's sorrows and joys and, covet and coveting the greatest of all things, Paul says. He says, do all of that, but I want you to covet above everything else. Covet love. Covet being like God himself. Because that's the thing that will keep us honoring one another, esteeming one another, caring for one another, willing to deny ourselves for one another. And that's how God saves you, through one another. And so you see, it turns everything around. I, it's, not, I, it's not so much the benefit I get from you that makes me thankful for you, though that's true, as it is I know that my life depends in some measure upon you, that I gotta have you in that sense, you see. And so if that's true, and it is, then I have to esteem you highly. And I have, to, I have to be careful not to grow bitter, not to be indifferent, not to be careless, not to despise any other members of the body because I will not be everything God wants me to be without you. And that's the way Paul wants the church to view each other because the church is the body of Christ. This is the place of life. You despise this body, you make divisions in this body, and Paul says, God will judge you. So don't do it. This is salvation for us. This is the way God is working salvation in us. Don't despise it. Even though it looks weak and it stumbles around and we mess up so many times and it gets embarrassing sometimes because the world makes fun of us and they despise us and they ridicule us. Yet we have to hang together and realize we walk by faith. This is the glorious temple of the Lord. This is the place of life and blessing. This is the place I must, I must adhere to. I, I've got to abide in the vine, the body of Christ, if I'm to live. And so Paul mentions this in Romans. He mentions it in Corinthians. He, he really presses it in Corinthians. But you see, you see the same kind of argument here in Ephesians. You can go through all the, all the epistles. You see the same thing. But here in Ephesians, the passage I read and going in, going forward into chapter 5, Paul teaches the purpose of the gifts that Jesus has given at, upon his ascension. He says he ascended and he gave gifts to men and gifts. He equipped the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see the point there again. Why is it that Jesus, the ascended Christ, poured out his spirit, equipping you to minister, to, to do things that are helpful to other people? Why did he do that? Well, so that the whole body can be built up and grow in maturity in conformity to Jesus. To, and he goes on, this is in chapter 4, verse 13, 
till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to a perfect man, the word perfect means mature there, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is salvation? Being conformed to Jesus. And because we're conformed to Jesus, we share his life, which is the eternal life. That's God's life. God alone is eternal, and we get to be eternal. by We live eternally. He glorifies us in that way. He, and this is where, you see, some, some Orthodox, and the Orthodox talk about the divinization. Well, be careful. <laughs> be careful with that. But there's a sense in which, you see, God wants us to be like him in every way. That was Satan's lie was, he doesn't want you to be like him. He told Adam and Eve. He, that's why he won't let you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He don't want anybody like him. When in fact, the, the, it's the, exactly the opposite. He wants everybody like him. He wants everybody to be like him. And that's why he sends his spirit by virtue of the work of Christ to make, it, to make the world like him, to glorify the world so that we are more and more like him, so that we won't be children anymore, Paul says, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but we will, by speaking the truth in love, he says, we grow up in all things unto him who is the head, from whom the whole body, knit, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Notice that. Jesus m matures us. He matures his body, but he does it through what every joint supplies. He uses each of the members to work, and he works through the members to build you up. And the whole body is built up in conformity to him who is the head. That is Jesus. So... We had, and, he, and the conclusion, by the way, he says this, uh, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, every member of the body does its share, causing growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. So the whole business of salvation is the manifestation of the love of God in operation by the Spirit through each one of God's people to one another. And so eternal life then stands in stark contrast. The life of God stands in stark contrast to the life of the world of unbelief. You share the life of God by virtue of being united to Jesus. Now, you must live like God. That's the point. Be imitators of God as dear children, he says. Aren't you got to live like God? Now you have the power of the Spirit. You don't do that in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. That's why you're given the Spirit. But he says, Paul goes on now in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And he says their hearts have been hardened, their hearts have been blinded. And if you walk in unbelief, then you're walking in futility. Your life becomes meaningless and worthless. You can't accomplish the things you were created to accomplish. And that futility causes a great frustration in the world of unbelief and they end up being more and more in a downward spiral and into beastliness. It is a horrifying thing. We're seeing it now. You see, what happens in a Christian culture is everybody's upheld by the general belief of the people. So that, you know, a hundred years ago, um, we didn't have all, we had a lot of the problems, but we didn't have all the problems to the same severity as we have now because in fact, the, the populace generally was unquestionably, they, they didn't question the Bible. Now, they may not have followed the Bible, but they believe that's God's word. 
Jesus is the Lord. Uh, and, uh, you know, some people going to heaven, some going to hell. I'm probably going to hell, a man told me one time. But he didn't question the reality of that. Well, now everything's questioned. The futility of unbelief is being manifested more and more. It is unbelievable. It's so shocking that you, it's almost impossible to believe it's really happening. I almost keep thinking the whole world's turn, turned into a Saturday Night Live skit, you know. It's, everybody's insane. And so it's so amazing. But that points us to what Paul is saying. We are not to walk like the unbelieving world who's alienated from the life of God. Therefore, and therefore dead, the thing that most characterizes the walk of the world of unbelief is devotion, therefore, to uncleanness. And they do that with greediness. Man, they love it and they, they want to eat as much of uncleanness and lewdness as they can. Because they've rejected the light of Jesus, they love the darkness, they devote themselves to the darkness, they live in corruption and promote decay. But, but Paul goes on, but you know better, he says. We know better because we've been taught by Jesus himself, Paul says. He's speaking to the Ephesians. I mentioned this yesterday or someday, sometime. Long ago and far away, it was this, I said this one day. But Paul says to the Ephesians, people in Asia Minor, I know you were taught by Jesus. You've heard him. And, and you want to, you know, you want to say, if you're, you know, keeping your wits about you, you go, wait a minute. These are Ephesians, Paul. These people never saw Jesus. They were living, in a, you know, hundreds of miles away from him. They never saw him. They never heard him teach. And they don't even know what his voice sounded like. You did. The other disciples did, but they did. These people have it. Paul says, yes, they have. They heard Jesus through me. Because when you hear the faithful proclamation of the word through a human ordained representative of Jesus, you're hearing his voice. And you have to receive the word as if he spoke it from heaven to you. And we're told that in Hebrews. You've come in before Jesus. Do not neglect that word that you're hearing when you gather into worship. Because if it, if it is faithful to the word of God, obviously, then that is the voice of Christ to you. That is Jesus speaking to you. And you have to walk out of here saying, thank you, Lord, for telling me the truth. And receiving the word of the, of the minister, if he's faithful, as if it's, don't make that distinction, as if it's Jesus. Jesus sent his disciples out and said, he who hears you, hears me. Don't ever let people say, well, that's your opinion. Well, that's your idea. That's your interpretation. He says, no, if you tell them what I say, you tell them they're hearing me. And if they reject you, you tell them they're rejecting me. I will not be separated from my, my people. I will not be separated from my prophets. I will not be separated from my ministers and representatives. He will stand with you in the, before the world in the same way. So he says, anybody who touches you is poking his finger in my eye. I will not be separated from my people. And so we have to understand. So Paul is very conscious of that. He tells the Galatians, you know, you received my word as if I was Jesus himself. It was wonderful how you submitted, humbled yourself to hear the word from me. That's the way we have to hear the word. Not because it exalts a man, but because Jesus is speaking in this way. He's not here physically with us. He is here by his spirit, and he still speaks living words to his, his living people so that we can turn away. 
And so we've been taught by Jesus, Paul says here, and since that's so, you know, he says, that you must be done with your old way of life, the way they lived under the dominion of sin. They must put off the old man. You've got to get rid of the remnants of the old Adam. That's the old man. And you've got to put on the new man. Who's the new man? Of course, that's Jesus. You clothed, you've got to be clothed with Jesus. You've got to be conformed to him. I want you to put on, put off the ways of the fallen man. Put on the ways of the, of the new man who's been born again from heaven, Jesus himself, exalted to the right hand of the Father. So now, he says, so, so that now you can walk in newness of life. This has been done, of course, this, as we mentioned, this is done definitively in baptism. We are transferred. And then we grow in our ability and knowledge and wisdom into learning how to live in this way being delivered from the dominion of sin, we're able now to walk in the new ways, the newness of life. The life, of course, always refers to God's life, the life of Jesus. Uh, if I'm walking in the light, or if I'm walking in the light, I'm following, and doing, I'm, I'm, I'm manifesting the life of God before the world. So, uh, we must grow in conformity to Jesus, loving just as he loves. I don't have the right to live like the world who is bound and blinded by sin. I cannot, I don't have the right to treat my brothers like in the same way the world treats one another. I don't have the right to do that. I don't care how provoked I've been. I don't care how justly I'm offended. I don't have the right to treat them like the world treats each other. I have to live, I have to deal with them like Jesus dealt, deals with me makes a big difference when you think, how am I to deal with you? How am I to deal with you when you sin against me? Or how are you to deal with me when I sin against you? Because that's going to happen. We're going to be in a relationship together, and that means I'm going to do something or say something or just be boneheaded enough where you just go, what in the, what is wrong with that guy? You're going to be really offended, and you're going to be right to be offended. You have grounds to be offended, but how should you respond then? Well, you know how we do respond, but the question is, how does Jesus respond when he's offended with you? Do the same thing. And that's what really Paul is saying here. You don't have the right. You've got to be distinct from them because eternal life, God's life, is distinct from the dead, deadness that pervades the world. So he gives them, and I love, this is what's so great about Paul. He never gives you this abstract principle and leave it assuming that, that you're, you're clear on what that means. He never does, does he? I mean, he says, I want, you, I want you to grow up in maturity in Christ. Amen. Let's all go. And grow. He never does it. I love it. He says, now let me tell you what that means. I'm going to get pretty particular, he says. This means stop lying. Stop it. Put away lying from you. What is wrong with you? Why do you lie to one another? Why do you deceive one another? Why do you pretend to be something you're not? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and everybody's going, tell you, Paul, leave it at, I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> that makes me feel much better. No, he says, here's how you be like Jesus. Let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor. Because that's what Jesus does. He speaks the truth. You need to speak the truth. Can you do that? Will you do that? Lying is a form of stealing. Notice, why you should not lie to one another? Did you notice it? He says, don't lie to one another because we are members of one another. What are you thinking? 
He said, we're in the same body. If my hand is sitting there going, you know, I'm kind of tired doing what everybody else does, especially they do everything the head says. I think I'll just slap the head, you know, every now and then. So you're walking down the street trying to talk to somebody, and your hand just, you go, I'm sorry, man, I got a bad hand here. He says, you're members of one another. If you're not going to do what Jesus says, you're fighting against yourself. My, my grandmother used to say, you cut off your nose to spite your face. That's not good. Then you just don't have a nose and you look nasty. <laughs> why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that? And Paul is saying, why would you lie to one another like that? You're, it's contrary to who you are. You're members of one another. A body ought to care about each of its members. Don't mistreat one another in that way. You're called to build up one another and enrich them. It's not your goal to build up yourself at the expense of others. You're rather to deny yourself so that others can be rich. That's your goal. You're to be instruments of the Spirit to build up one another. And that will only be accomplished by speaking the truth of Jesus to one another. And speaking the truth, therefore, in what you deal and how you deal with one another. Second, he says, be angry, but don't sin. You go, well, that's not fair. <laughs> well, all the fun of anger is sinning, isn't it? I mean, that's the whole point. He says, no, it isn't. You have to be like God. He is angry, but he never sins. God is angry every day with the wicked, but he never sins against them. Sometimes he gets angry with us, like a father does with his children who rebel against him. Anger is not, not sinful all the time. But most of the time it leads us into sin. And so Paul is saying you've got to learn to be righteously angry. That means a lot of things. But it means, he says, so, so for example, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You can be angry till sunset. You're not allowed to sin until sunset. But you can be angry till sunset, but it, when the sun goes down, you've got to quit it. You've got to drop it. Because if it goes over the next day, it turns into something bad. It turns into bitterness and cynicism. And you can't have that because that's not the way God is. That's not the way Jesus is. Cultivate righteous anger. Be angry with the things that God is angry about. You see, that's the trick. We're angry when people do things to us. And if they sin against God, we go, oh man, well, everybody's got to write their own opinion, I reckon. Really? You think that? Do you have the right to disagree with God? You think you do? Where did you get that right? I'd like to know. Where'd you get the right to disagree with God? Where'd you get the right to live contrary to His commandments? Where did you get the right to say your lifestyle is legitimate when God says it's an abomination? Where did you get that right? Why do I have to acknowledge that when you're making it up? You're pretending to be your own God. You've just convinced yourself that your adultery and your lust and your involvement in pornography is okay because that's, for you, it's okay. Other people may not be able to do it, but for you, it's okay. Really, where do you, where do you get all that stuff? It's not from the Bible. You're making it up. You're pretending to be God. And I'm angry. You know why? Because that's going to kill you. If you can tolerate everything, you don't love anything. Because God is love. And you know what that means? 
Love obligates you to hate evil. If you love evil, if you can tolerate evil, if you can say abominations are now a legitimate lifestyle that I have to recognize and just say, yeah, that's, you know, I'm not, it's not for me, but I'm willing to understand how that's your choice, that's how it is for you. If you're, if you're like that way, what you're only doing is expressing a hatred and telling the rest of us you don't love anybody but yourself. Because the only thing, the only reason you're doing that is to keep yourself out of trouble, right? You don't want other people to be mad at you. So you go along with their lies. That is hatred. It is not love. It is not tolerance. It's not true tolerance. It's indulgence of evil. It's saying to everyone else, you know, I really don't care if you go to hell or not. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, I'm going to tell you I wish you were going to heaven, but go to hell. I don't care. Just don't get mad at me. Don't make me lose my job. Don't make me get in trouble with the media. That is hatred, and that's what the world's filled with. We don't need it anymore. We're done with that. Paul says, quit it. Stop it. Be angry at what God is angry with. Don't sin against anybody. Don't allow your anger to, to make you do something wrong. Don't retaliate. Don't be brutal. Don't attack. Don't, don't do the things you're not supposed to do. But you better be angry. That's the command. Be angry. The qualification is do not sin. You're not, don't tell me that you had righteous anger and then went to sinning people. That is not righteous anger. That exposes unrighteous anger when you sin against people because you're mad. You're not allowed to sin against people even if you're mad, even if you're mad for the right reason. Be angry and do not sin. Be like God. Don't hold the grudge like the devil does. Don't refuse to forgive. We don't serve the devil. We're not allowed, therefore, to be like him. We're saved by Jesus. We must, therefore, be like him. And then he goes on, do not steal. Let him who stole steal no longer. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good. You're not to be, you're to be like God, enriching others, not getting rich off of others, making them, uh, making them rich. Rather than stealing, therefore, work. Do what's good. Help others. Get enough so that you can have to give. It's not enough to work just to supply your needs. You work so that you can have extra because there are needs around you that you're going to, that extra money will be put to good use because there are people who are going to need it. And in the church, we think it like that. We think, yeah, I'm thankful for my, for my raise. Not only does that get me that new car, but it also is going to have me, give me something where I'm, I'm in a position now when needs arise, I can actually help in those needs. That is the great privilege. I can do without a new car, but I cannot ignore the needs around me. Speak words of grace, Paul says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Our words are to impart the grace of God to hearers. That, again, as I mentioned yesterday, that's not just making them feel good or telling them, you know, I really love you, I enjoy you. It's, it's speaking the grace. We communicate grace to one another. It's a means of grace. Your words are means of grace to others. This means you have to become rich in wisdom so that you can actually have something worthwhile to, to say that will help me to grow up and to be more wise and to understand things better. Our words are always either building others up or corrupting them. So be sure that you're communicating blessings rather than curses. Do not grieve the spirit, he says. This is astonishing. Here's the thing. 
And this shows you again how the Spirit works. When we don't do these things, we're grieving the Spirit. What is the Spirit? Well, it's not just that He's God and is offended with sin. He is working in us so that we can be like Him, be used to exhort one another. And when we refuse to do it, the Spirit is grieved. That's an astonishing statement that my carelessness, my thoughtlessness, my unconcern for the other people, not only in the world, but especially in the church, actually grieves, brings grief to God. I can't understand that and I can't explain it, but there you have it. Paul said it. So if you want to say he's a heretic, have at it. I'm not going to do that because he knows what he's talking about. This is by the inspiration of the Spirit. But that is an astonishing chapter, uh, a statement. When you hurt others, you're grieving God himself. When you sin against others, I should say. Rather, he says, be kind to one another. Don't let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, don't hold on to it. Put it all away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And look at how we're to forgive one another. As God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. How do you forgive? You forgive others like God forgives you. Therefore, these highly holy people, sensitive people who tell me these things, they say, yes, I can forget. Maybe, maybe I can forgive, but I can never forget. Mm, wow, you're more holy than God because God says he forgives and puts it behind his back and forgets. In other words, God says, I don't keep your offenses in front of my face so that every time I see you, I have to look through all those things you've done against me. He says, I put that behind my back so that when I look at you, I see you as my beloved son or daughter. But we are much more holy than that because we can forgive, but we can't forget. Wow, that is pathetic. Do you realize how pathetic and arrogant that is? That is some of the most arrogant, pathetic talking I've ever heard. Oh, I don't think I can ever forgive that. Really, you're more holy than God. God forgives everything. He'll forgive it all when he's asked, and you can't. That is the most arrogant, satanic thing that we could ever say. And you are acting like Satan. What do you think you are? Where did you get the right to do that? You're denying Jesus. That will kill you. Stop it, Paul says. This is like the world is. He says, you can't be like that. You've got to be like God to one another. We have to be instruments of life to others, imitating God himself. Be imitators of God as dear children. And he... Uh, and he goes on by saying, love means seeking the well-being of others. If you're going to imitate God, you have to be an instrument of life in the, lives of, in the lives of others. So your goal is to enable others to prosper and flourish in joy and in blessedness and enjoying the peace of God. Image, bearers, image bearing means loving the Lord who has loved us by loving one another. And that means, of course, keeping God's commandments. Jesus tells us that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. As I have loved you, so love one another. And that's by keeping the commandments, not sinning against one another, avoiding all the wickedness of the world in word and deed as faithful children. Paul goes on in chapter 5, avoiding all filthiness and foolish talk. He's not approved. He's simply saying, look, man, you're not, you haven't given your tongue and your voice 
to corrupt other people. Don't glorify folly. Don't encourage wickedness and rebellion with your words. Rather, speak your tongue. Speak things that encourage and build up, and, and your tongue ought to be preeminent, dominated by giving thanks. Obey. Do what God says. Oppose evil. Loving others means seeking their well-being and their best interests, which means we are required to oppose all sin. Loving like God loves requires us to hate all evil. And one of the, <clears throat> so we have to learn that, especially in our culture, because you're being challenged now. We're being threatened that if I don't tolerate, if I don't affirm all kinds of evil, I'm going to be a criminal. I'm guilty of hatred. Isn't that interesting? I love it when the world who does, you know, lectures us on love and compassion while at the same time saying it is my right to kill born, born babies as well as unborn babies if I don't want them. Don't you love being lectured by that kind of compassionate people? Well, that's the way Satan is. This is a satanic culture that we're facing. We have to stand against it. So Paul says, walk wisely. <clears throat> walk circumspectly. Be filled more and more with the ways of the Spirit. And he lays out those things. And ultimately, he finishes up by saying, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody into your heart to the Lord and giving thanks in all things to God the Father. What is the ultimate way in which we demonstrate we're filled with the Spirit? It ain't by speaking in tongues and healing people or making a leg grow. It's by worshiping God. That's where it ends. We become joyful, zealous worshipers. And when we're that, then we leave. When we gather to worship, we learn how to do, give thanks. We learn how to be thankful in all things. We learn what's the will of the Lord. We're learning His Word. We can go out and live like that. That's the point. In all these ways, we learn to honor one another, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then he goes on to talk about how that looks with husbands and wives and, and parents and children and slaves and masters and how everything there is going to show the contrast between the church and the world. And you cannot imagine. I, I was reading on the way up here a book on, on the culture of the ancient world and how it viewed Christianity. How odd Christianity appeared to them. It was so amazingly distinct. And this passage in Ephesians, is Paul is he's, he's saying, I'm going to list all the things that are characterized outside here. And I'm going to tell you, we have to be completely distinct from all that. And it was so astonishing to the world to watch Christians live. And so you know what they said. <laughs> it, was, it, was so con it was so different from everything that was around them. One of the, one of the men who opposed them said, but, but I have to say, look at how they love one another. That was unheard of. It was just unheard of. How could slaves, how could masters love slaves? Slaves were nothing. Good grief, you could kill them if you wanted to. But Paul and Christians are saying, no, they have to be treated as brothers, as family members. They said, that is so embarrassing. How can they have no concern for class and economic status, social status? But the Christians did. They loved people that weren't related to them. They loved people from other countries and other, other cultures, other races. It was amazing. The world couldn't get over it. So that's why Peter has to say, hey man, be ready when they ask you for a reason as to why you're living like you're living. They're going to ask you why you're like this. He says, don't sit there and go, uh, uh, uh. He says, plan your answer. Be ready to give an answer. 
Because everybody's going to ask you because you are so distinct. You're not like Satan. You're like somebody else. And you can tell them, you know who I'm like? It's Jesus. You've heard of him. That's who I'm like. God has called us into fellowship with himself and with one another so that we can grow to be like him. True salvation. The church is the place where salvation is worked out in us and through us it is brought to the world. So we would go and disciple the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. By the work of the Spirit, God is creating a people that look like Him, talk like Him, and live like He lives. A, a community of real human beings who reflect His love and show forth His love in the world. When they see our love, Jesus says, they will know that the Father has sent me and that I am the true and only God. All life is centered in around the church. That's what we're talking about. And that's the way it has to be. Let's pray real quickly. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Help us to believe these things. Uphold us and help us to honor you. For Jesus' sake, amen.